what's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheen. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, finally, a lighter week. Kind of. Kind of. How you doing, dog? I'm starting to question my own reality, dog. Why did I waste 10, out, 10 plus hours of my life with Westworld Season 2? <laughs> we, we're going to get to Westworld in a little bit. We got a couple other things to talk about first. This was probably the week I was looking forward to least in terms of having to binge watch television to catch up and talk about it. You know, Legion, I, I got a little bit, a little further behind, and I, I didn't mind binge watching, binge watching that because I think there's just so much like weirdness to keep you interested. Westworld is just like a slog. Second week in a row, we've I've used the word slog. I think I'm going to try to fit that in once a week. I add that to the drinking game. If you are a fan of the show, though, before we jump into everything, please subscribe on YouTube. Go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a comment and review there, reading and review there. Go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, um, and you can find all the ways to listen to this podcast and share us with friends. We really appreciate all the help. Dave, you are a major Star Wars fan. I would consider myself a Star Wars fan, but I think that you are... Probably a bit of a bigger, or at least more knowledgeable Star Wars fan than I am. We talked about Solo. Check that out at SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod for our review of that movie. It didn't do great at the box office. That was one of the things we talked about. It was flopped in terms of a Star Wars movie. And news came out last week that they might be putting the spinoff movies on hold. And then other reports came out saying, eh, maybe it's not on hold, but they're licking their wounds a little bit. They're trying to figure out how to release this a little bit more strategically. What's going on with Star Wars here? Yeah, I mean, basically summed up there. I think Collider kind of broke the original story that everything was put on hold, any spinoff movies, which would mainly entail the Obi-Wan spinoff and Boba Fett spinoff with James Mangold, both of which, again, not confirmed films, but movies that were almost certainly are in some stage of you know development, right? And then ABC News kind of press release-ish stuff from Disney comes out that's saying it's inaccurate and that's not totally true. There's still other Star Wars films in development beyond the expected and formally announced Episode Nine, Ryan Johnson trilogy and Benioff and Weiss trilogy, as well as the John Favreau uh, streaming show. And then Howard Reporter kind of followed up with their own digging, their own sources, and kind of got to that point as well. And like, it's not that they've canceled anything so much as they're just focusing on Nine, particularly J.J. Abrams, the next movie coming out December 2019, and figuring, you know, I guess rehoning in on how they operate, how they do business and how they market their movies and I guess really all that it seems like it's a pretty broad comment and hmm, you know I, I mean right. when the whole thing broke and you know the headlines are obviously like Obi-Wan movie canceled or <laughs> they're using Solo the movie we didn't want to not make Obi-Wan the movie we wanted uh, sure. you know it's like again it's a little confirmation bias for me and I think I think the main takeaway though is like if they're trying to work on how they operate and improving that is a good sign because there's been a lot of tumult behind the scenes with Tony Gilroy coming in to finish Rogue One and Obviously, Lauren Miller being fired, and Josh Trank was mm-hmm. fired off the spinoff years ago, which we assume was Boba Fett. So it's like, if they can maybe change the way they work with their creatives, you know, I, I don't see how that's a negative. And focusing on the main dish, episode nine, before they work on all the side stories, you don't see a problem with this tactic. Depending on who you ask, the fan base is either in ruins or at least a little divided. I mean, Last Jedi, then Solo, back to back, and five and a half months you know there's a lot of truth to that so you know i, I don't really see much of a negative because again we right. they've yet to cancel anything that they formally announced a- any real uh conclusion i think is just pretty premature but i think it's probably a positive long term i think it makes sense because you know they released solo and i think within you know six months after or not even six months after the last jedi it's hard to release two movies in a year without the movies being very different in some way i think that's one of the 
pluses Marvel has in their universe is that each superhero brings something different, though their stories can intertwine. There's just more interesting and, and more uniqueness within those stories. Star Wars pulls from a lot of the same stuff. I mean, Solo is an offshoot of the main Star Wars trilogy. It's a, a story everybody knows. And after you have The Last Jedi, which was it kind of has i don't want to say torn the fan base apart but you know there's remake the last jedi on twitter which i mean <laughs> what that was hilarious to see and ryan johnson just like dunking on them too is is fantastic and on, sidebar on that it's like there is legitimate fan criticism of the last jedi and there's also the stuff that gets all the attention all the you know sexist and racist stuff that people say about finn and ray right. but then all just the stupid entitled fan stuff. And when you do stuff like this, you give attention to the the morons that are critics and not the le- people with legitimate opinions. But yeah, I mean, I thought that was funny how everyone was, even people that don't like the movie are like, relax. To kind of just finish my point, I think they need to find a way to release these stories, make them interesting. Maybe they go and instead of releasing... You know, a spinoff like Obi-Wan or Lando or Boba Fett. They decided to do a new a movie about a new part of the universe, expanding the universe a bit, doing something that's going to draw new fans in and something that's going to feel mm-hmm. fresh. I have no doubt Star Wars is going to figure this out. I mean, there's no reason to believe they won't. They had one movie that didn't do well at the box office, and it's still not a bad movie. They're not in trouble by any sense. With this fan base, any negative news just gets blown out of proportion. I think my main takeaway from this is that, like, if they want to make stuff that's like a Boba Fett or an Obi-Wan that some fans really clamor for, and again, there's a lot of fans that really like Solo, and there's a lot of other people that just have no interest in any of these, you know, ancillary stories about things and events we kind of already know, people we know. They're just not interested in that because it's not like, you know, creatively new. It's just kind of there to add stuff in, but it's not, you know, quote, needed, right? right. I think what Lucasfilm's new calculus is, is Solo what the second most popular star wars character the most well-known right Mm -hmm. granted marketing issues behind the scenes pro bad press blah 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 if solo didn't bring up general audiences to come to the movie how the fuck is boba fett gonna be a blockbuster (laughs) so i think what they have to do is they have to change their calculus about expectations Mm -hmm. for a boba fett movie a neo western from james mangle director of logan sounds great but again, you have to make sure you make that movie, promote that movie, and sell that movie without the expectation that's a billion-dollar film because it won't be a billion-dollar movie, despite being Star Wars. I think now they've learned that Star Wars, the brand, period, isn't enough. Right. Figuring that stuff out, it's important because, again, it's all about the long term. and Shit ain't going away. So if the spinoffs are, quote, put on hold, perhaps there's not a 2020 movie because uh, that, that's the first year we don't have anything officially dated. You'd have to figure that a 2020 film would need to go into production within the next year mm-hmm. to make a 2020 release date. A little premature, but we'll see. Well, why don't we move on to some music here? Dave, tell me what your relationship is to the genre of music jazz. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about jazz? Can't say I uh, listen to a whole lot of it. Shout out Louis Armstrong. Uh, <laughs> I saw La La Land. I know what the white people have done jazz. <laughs> Kamasi Washington, I'm only really aware of him through his right. work in hip-hop, work with Kendrick Lamar, mm-hmm. most notably. Right. So, But it's funny that I'm actually really interested in the way like he's like jumped around labels. He was His first uh, label album, the Epic, in 2015 was on Brain Feeder. That's mm-hmm. Flying Lotus's label, you know, Unachievers around that. And his last two records, including this new one, Heaven and Earth, are on Young Turks. And Young Turks is where FKA Twigs, Sampha, Jamie XX. It's a British indie label. Yeah. 
so it's kind of weird like seeing all the circles that Kamasi Washington, a 37 year old saxophonist like is in but uh, yeah I'm not obviously we don't talk about jazz very often no we aren't going to frequent Seb's that's for sure but it's okay Um, we can still appreciate good music when we hear it and Heaven and Earth uh, my first thought god damn this album is long but that's kind of par for the course for a Kamasi uh, album although mm. his second album I, I i forgot to write the name down it was only like 35 minutes long it wasn't it wasn't that long of an album harmony of difference yeah that one was a little bit shorter um but yeah the epic was like i think three hours long so this is kind of his style and uh to say i listened to every single moment of it not going to be true just because i didn't have not the true. time you know we're gonna we're not gonna be talking about jurassic world today because uh neither one of us could make the time for it in binging westworld catching up on this music living lives outside of uh pop culture constantly um so yeah Kamasi, though. the draft was on thursday and that's usually when i like to get these movies out of the way oh yeah how, how did you feel could've, about uh could've... the next draft kevin knox that's what i wanted so we're perfect that's there the you go <laughs> uh you were glad <laughs> that they didn't grab michael porter huh uh yeah, I like my players to have backs. It's a good so. thing to have. It's a good start for a basketball <laughs> player. Um, all right. So heaven and earth. Uh, what did you think of this album? Uh, I mean, like his, you know, first label album. It's epic, uh, both in scope and scale <laughs> yeah. and uh, uh, what do you call it? Motivation. I think mm-hmm. it's uh impressive. I mean, there's only what two songs shorter than six minutes. Several around ten minutes. So it's and they're long, like, wouldn't call them ballads, but it's like you're on a journey as he just goes to town on that sax and whatnot. And mm-hmm. he's really good at arranging his music, so it's yeah. incredibly, you know, sounds really good even if you're not someone who listens to that music like me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was impressive. But, again, I didn't listen to the whole thing, of course. Yeah, I jumped around. Um, you know, two two songs I kind of want to shout out on this are One of One and the way that it flows into the Space Traveler's lullaby. Two two things I think this does really well is, uh, so the first part, which is Heaven, or, no, sorry, the first part of this, which is Earth, and it goes into Heaven, talking about, like, the the physical and the metaphysical experience you have as a, as a human being. Um, I think that, the way that it transitions from those two parts of this album or of this double album is really fantastic in this song. And the space travelers lullaby in particular is just like, I think you said Epic was the word for it. And there's really no other way to describe it. It just kind of brings you on this. Like you feel like you're flying through space at moments and just like <laughs> sure. in the clouds. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Um, also the Psalmist, which is the second to last song. Um, there's, there's like a back and forth drum duel on that, which I was just like, it reminded me of whiplash a lot. I was like, yes, uh, like sure. it was, it was fucking awesome. That that's probably the best jazz movie of the last, like, I don't know, three, four years in my opinion. La La Land. Is it even jazz? Yeah. He was a jazz drummer. I'm pretty, yeah. Was it? I, I would, I would almost oh. guarantee it. Oh shit. I didn't think of it that way. Sure. Whiplash is better than La La Land, I, regardless of the genre. I, that, will not fight you on that um will you ever listen to this album all the way through i mean i'd like to i'm <laughs> the kind of guy who doesn't like to half do anything mm-hmm. like if i'm gonna listen to one beach house album i might as well listen to the other six you know <laughs> it's just how i operate um i actually really want to go back and listen to the epic i haven't really heard much of that at all uh, but then you know he also has three self-released albums Should I listen <laughs> to those two you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, how, how far do you want to dive down this hole? Um, 
You know what the thing is? It's, it's interesting because we've been really honing in on these albums that are shorter and these songs that are shorter. And then he drops this and it's like, it almost feels like our attention span is not able to hold this in a way. Like mm-hmm. I found myself spacing out at points and coming back. Um, I mean, how can you not? I might, I'd be curious to see how I'd handle a genre of artist I really loved, yeah. you know, with something this long. Definitely. And if it was, you know, good. Because again, by all accounts, Kamasi Washington, Heaven and Earth, great record. But, you know, I'm, I'm only, uh, you know, a mild jazz fan <laughs> to be incredibly charitable. So <laughs> we're, we always want everyone to be short. So, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, someone that I know that you're a much bigger fan of, Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> man. This is their, their third, I guess you can call it EP length, although this is about 30 minutes long, so I'm not sure if it's an EP. Bad Witch, you know, follow up to 2017's Ad Violence and 2016's Not the Actual Events. Um, man, this was uh, quite a trip. Uh, Trent Reznor sounding probably more raw than he has in a long time. Um, sure. This is like Nine Inch Nails' most lo-fi album that I can ever really remember. You know, he's like he's known to be like a crazy perfectionist. Um, And I think I think the really interesting thing about this album for me. So you think about Nine Inch Nails and they really came to fame in the 90s as this uh, goth rock metal band that was really like using dance music to package their their songs and become incredibly popular. You know, a song like Closer is one of maybe the best like dance songs of the 90s in a way um, i didn't know you're a chain smokers fan dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> um i saw someone say that closer is gonna be our uh generations t- uh africa by toto and in like 30 years all of our like kids and like There's better better nominations for that already come on I, I don't know i was thinking about it there might not be what, what would you say uh, is the better nomination for that i mean there's a, there's tons of other quotables right in terms of like the it's like it a maligned underappreciated soul on the people then say oh it's actually really good right. yeah i guess i don't know i mean it is it is well made for you know a computer but yeah i, I don't I, I don't hate closer <laughs> I, I don't hate the i don't hate that chain smoker interesting uh, proposition though definitely but b- back to nine inch nails um they this is not dancey at all this the six track no, album lo-fi like you said yeah w- w- what stood out to you most about this album what did you like or dislike I well, I I thought it, I liked it partially because it was short, but mm-hmm. um, I, I was kind of stricken by like the vibe. It definitely had its own yeah. consistent vibe, and um, I didn't I didn't care for the vocals per se, but I didn't like dislike them and find it grating or anything. But I just I think the two instrumental tracks, "I'm Not from This World" and "Play the Goddamn Part," yeah, I thought those sounded so good, <laughs> and then there was no vocals to like almost distract you from that. Yep. Absolutely. So like then when I, when they're separated from songs with vocals, I was like, oh right, there's you know Reznor still mm-hmm. here. But I, I thought yeah, those those instrumental tracks definitely stood out to me. The whole vibe. I actually thought the same thing is that those the instrumentals were almost the parts that drew me in the most. And like a song like God Break Down the Door, where he only sings for a very little bit, and it's like right in the middle of the song, and he has these like very like weird like creepy vocals on it almost like you said almost takes you out of it but just the way he like makes these songs and builds them up uh is really i think not only inspiring and what he's kind of talking about in this is just kind of this like 
just like very depressing type music about like life is pretty mm-hmm. much shit right now <laughs> and things in right. the country. Yeah, I usually tune that kind of those kind of lyrics out. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's not something that I think I'm gonna go back and listen to a lot, except for maybe those two. And we'll probably put one of those songs on the the playlist for the year. I'm thinking play the goddamn part is probably my favorite one, but I think it's worth listening to, especially if if you appreciate Nine Inch Nails at all. This album is kind of an interesting, I think, bookend to this three EP release. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm expecting they'll do something a little more traditional. For their next one but we'll see i think it's always interesting to pay attention to a band that's been around as long as them when they're still making stuff that's worth worth hearing and again like their first album's from 1989 so you know the fact that they're doing something that people actually give a damn about still you know i think says a lot absolutely something i give a damn about is the fade music video and that was really i think my the first time i really tuned into tiana taylor and was like oh shit like, this girl is incredibly talented, great dancer. She's gorgeous. I wasn't even really aware of her singing until that album, and then I went back and started to tune into some of her songs. I can't say I'm a huge fan, obviously, if I just found out about her pretty much, like, last year. But I was excited <laughs> to hear Kanye was producing an album for her, and she dropped KTSE. Not seven tracks, eight tracks. Kanye really broke the mold on this one. What did you think of KTSE? I think it's better than seven. That's her debut album. She has two tapes in that debut album. I came out in 2014. I just re-listened to it this weekend, and it's not that it's bad, it's a little underwhelming. And, the, and I think that's kind of the, the the rub with Tiana Taylor is that she's like a talented vocalist, a good singer, but not like a superb, amazing singer. Mm-hmm. But I think she's she is good, and she's kind of been underutilized ever since she's been on good music. Mm-hmm. And when I mean, she was on Christmas in Harlem, she was on a few Cruel Summer songs, some background vocals on Dark Twisted Fantasy, and but. She was she's overqualified to be in the fade video, right? And then to have her in the fade video, you know, kind of being sexualized, and it's like, no mm-hmm. wait, but that's that's Tiana Taylor. Like, imagine if SZA was, you know, Control hadn't come out yet, and SZA was just dancing in Kendrick videos. You right. know, it's a little above her pay grade, definitely below her pay grade, actually. <laughs> so yeah, to have KTSC finally come out again, yay! Can set a set a release date six weeks in advance, and still deliver it late but that, that's whatever <laughs> not, my, not my business um and i you know i thought um i thought there were some cool lyrics on this that line about uh you ain't hot you ain't pop what's uh w- what's up with you and yay mm-hmm. on the on the was it rose in harlem yeah and i was like all right she, she understands yeah. that she's more well known for fade and amon chumper so i think this is a good sign of growth mm-hmm. um but again like all of these wyoming records uh seven tracks or eight tracks still a short amount of time when it's under 30 minutes to really you know uh grab people's attention if it's not flat out amazing mm-hmm. i think this is good uh better than seven but still not you know fantastic but there are some good joints on it yeah you know when i was listening to this i couldn't help but keep going back to georgia smith because um, i think just the overall vibe of the album was very r&b soft uh soft sounding you know like a song like mm-hmm. um let's see what, what what did i have down here what was the song i think oh issues hold on was like the song to me that i was like this is the one i think i vibe with the most and i just like the overall vibe of the album just very you know it's something i'm probably gonna put on if i'm cleaning my house or if i'm looking to have like a relaxing afternoon while i'm like i don't know watching sports or something like that but it's not an album i think mm-hmm. i'm i'm in love with by any sense of the imagination and i think going back to what you said about her debut album i felt kind of underwhelmed like i was really excited to see what what she could bring on this and 
it was just okay for me. Um, I still mm. thought the production was great. It was very smooth. Um, there were little parts like I think in issues hold on when you hear like the like the laser sound like just jump in all right. of a sudden it kind of like jerks you awake on it. Um, but he kept it pretty minimal I think to let her her try to shine on this and she had moments but I don't think this is gonna vault her to any new level of stardom. Yeah, uh, the last track WTP kind of stands out mm. just because it's like it has like the, the weird background yeah. noise and then three way I thought was. A little weird just because Ty Dolla Sign like kind of comes in with like twice as much energy yeah. as Tiana, and it be, it's a song about you know three ways. So right. it's, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a weird mix. Uh, I thought Ye's verse on uh, "Hurry" the fourth track uh, didn't get in the way. It was it was, mm-hmm. it was solid. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that, I think that's kind of just my my thought on the album. It's better than before. Still, I still know she can be better than this. Um, so and I think it. The whole thing about the Wyoming records is how much, how helpful is letting Kanye put everyone in a box with the short run times right. at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, I was actually going to ask you, now that the Wyoming records have, have wrapped up, what what are your takeaways from this? Like, especially this is like a moment in music. Uh, yeah, definitely a moment. That's for sure. Um, well, I think, you know, the, the clear highlights are, I mean, everything happened with Pusha T. A lot of that's Pusha's own credit, obviously, with uh-huh. the Drake stuff. But Pusha definitely had twice as many records for this for Daytona uh-huh. that you know he just didn't didn't drop. And then um, Kanye deserves some credit for bringing Cuddy back, yep. reining him in. You know, but on the other hand, he deserves a lot of blame for making an album in two weeks and putting it out. Uh-huh. So, um, and then Tiana and Nas, you know underwhelmed or we're just okay depending on who you ask so uh it's a lot of ups and downs from this definitely a moment though the the whole you know all the release parties i think kind of lost their interest to everyone as we got five weeks in but um definitely cool like evolution of the good friday's concept Mm -hmm. um and the first time like people really thought about good music as a label uh you know since since cruel summer since 2012 so it's been a while yeah i i agree i think push a the obvious winner of all of this um a lot of his own doing but also daytona and the the, the production kanye provided on that are just phenomenal and i think we'll be talking about that uh as one of the best albums of this year i think like you said kanye gets credit for bringing cuddy back but cuddy was at every moment even on yay when he comes in on ghost, ghost town yeah he's just he kills it and th- that's the thing mm-hmm. is i think that they were able to really give like Ty Dollar Sign a lot of shine, um, really highlight some of these lesser artists. But the ones that we were all really pumped for, Nas, Kanye, Tiana, fell short. And I think those that's the, the drawback of trying to produce something and make something so quickly and kind of manically is that things need attention, things need time, things need thought. And if you're just throwing it out there, you're not always going to hit the mark. So some good, some bad, definitely a moment, something we'll be <laughs> talking about the next time Kanye decides he wants to put music out. Look for two more Yeezy clothing lines to drop before that, though. So we got mm-hmm. some time. All right, we got to do it. Time to talk about <laughs> Westworld Season 2. Why don't we each say something we liked about this season before we, we completely tear it apart? Coming into season two, you know, I was optimistic that with more time, with a more conventional, 
less troubled production, Joe Nolan and Lisa Joy would make a more compelling uh, season of TV. You know, a lot of times the first season, you iron out the kinks. This is really present on broadcast television. You can the cast kind of feels itself out, and you figure things out. Prestige show for HBO. It's the uh, soon to be their most expensive show once Thrones finishes up next year, and already renewed it for season three. And they have grand plans for this, obviously. And there's a lot of good talent involved, and and I really had high expectations and then like you've we've both alluded to wasn't really a fan of the season but i do think there there were some highlights i think overall the show is still really strong at world building overall in terms of making interesting settings and premises that it often will not do enough with and then i think when it when the show does just get really expository it usually can do that kind of well the, the problem usually is though that it's a bunch of ridiculous nonsense but when it does you know go down that path thing it works and then i thought there were actually some good good episodes in this riddle of the sphinx and then katsuya katsuya episode eight yep. uh, in particular really stood out and the reason they stood out is those are shows or uh, episodes with they, they have multiple timelines but they actually work together they pay off together it's a arc that you can understand and gets uh, pays off by the end of the episode, while also still somewhat serving the grander narrative of the season. Mm-hmm. And Bus World actually shows with those episodes the potential the show has yep. when it's not just trying to be obtuse and you know confusing for the sake of doing just that. Um, and the- so I think again, like those moments, you're like. Why can't we just get more of that? That's what people actually find entertaining. Yeah, you know, uh, Kiksuya and uh, Kane no Mai are probably the two that, that stood out to mm-hmm. me the most. And the thing about both those episodes is there's a pretty traditional setup. The thing about uh, Westworld that I give it I give it credit for because I think it's it's an admirable way to approach TV shows, but I think also is incredibly difficult is that they're trying to really make nobody the bad guy but nobody the good guy either and when you don't really have a side that you're bringing for or someone that you feel like you're totally behind it can be hardy attraction for a show but in those episodes you know you know that you're rooting for uh i, I forgot didn't write his name down but the ghost uh the ghost warrior in kiksu uh was it a catchy yeah yeah catchy i think is right Z- he's zane uh what mcwilliamson from fargo season two love the actor yeah he's fantastic and then uh okay no my you know you know that you're rooting for Maeve, but you're rooting for Maeve's shogun twin you know or Mm -hmm. or long whatever Mm -hmm. same person different body uh it's it just kind of sets up a different structure and those are kind of like bottle episodes almost in a way in a season that in a show that's so dependent on all these interlocking and, and interweaving stories. And really, I was sitting there watching this finale last night. And I was like, I've literally said to myself three times, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I had, I was so lost at parts. Um, and I think it's because, one, this show doesn't grab my attention. So I'm not paying as close attention to something like you would The Wire or Breaking Bad, where you're looking for every little detail. But also... It's just there's so many different things you have to be thinking about. And this is a show that I think we talked about last year. You have to really want to read about this show and learn about this show past watching oh, yeah. it. I think in order to read for Reddit, it's that for me, unless the show is, is really grabs you, which this, the show doesn't. Um, I'm not I'm not down for that right now. Um, but I saw I saw your tweets today. You said Westworld is not good. <laughs> Back back up that, uh, yeah, so, that take, Dave. Well, I, I once so season one is 
all about the mystery box. Um, you don't under, you don't realize, or mm-hmm. you know, non-Reddit viewers don't understand that there's multiple timelines until the end when it's revealed that oh wait, Jimmy Simpson and Ed Harris, the Man in Black and uh, William, are the same people in different timelines, mm-hmm. right? And um, the whole build up with Ford, right? And it's kind of all building up to that the reveal that there's multiple timelines, and then with season two. I was like, oh, now they can be a little more conventional. Obviously, they'll still have their puzzles and stuff, but I thought they'd be a little more conventional for the sake of telling a better story. No, they have this present timeline, which basically uh, undercuts all of the past timelines Mm -hmm. because there's no character growth at all. Uh, Let's see, Charlotte Hale, Tessa Thompson, an actress we love. She is incredibly one-note the whole season because both in the past timeline and in the present timeline, she's still looking for... Uh, Abernathy right? looking for this shit in his head so there's like no growth and you already know that she doesn't find him in the, the past timeline and speaking of that growth I mean uh, uh, Charlotte, Hale, Maeve Dolores and William they don't change all season William is literally doing the same thing in season one as he's doing season two playing his demented you know uh, game he has within the West world right and nothing changes for him the whole season. And Maeve, Maeve does a lot of stuff. She's kind of pushing the plot in, in points, but her as a character doesn't really change. She just becomes a superhero. That's the only way she changes is she just is able to control people with her mind all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Which is, isn't even explained how she's able to do that. No, she just starts being able to like hack in via Bluetooth, I think <laughs> is kind of how we, we grasp it. Which, I mean, again, I'm not... I don't care about leaps of logic. I just want it to be told in a better way. Right. So I actually am more apt to give things like that a pass. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's a show about crazy sex robots and gratuitous violence. I'm willing to accept uh, that someone could hack remotely via their head. That, that's not an issue with me. Um, but it's just like, uh, there's just so many like open plot questions that just exist to be questions. Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing with the, the Valley Beyond slash Forge. What the fuck is the point of that beyond <laughs> just being a weird question for everyone to figure out? Right. There's nothing compelling about it. And then then I was actually really pissed once uh, fucking Ford comes back. And, you know, <laughs> I was Hopkins just laughing. Still, still, still cooking. Age, age 80. No shots. Keep getting those but checks. Ford, Ford sucks as a character. Mm. Probably fake deep. And now you just have him poisoning fucking bernard and you're just wasting jeffrey wright all season because uh bernard has no idea what the fuck's going on yeah or what he's done the whole time right and it's just like having ford come back doesn't make anything more clear about ford's plan oh yeah we get it mm-hmm. he started a robot revolution and he sides with the robots now we didn't need you to expound upon that further you know yeah i i hated ford showing up in this season i i laughed at it though because i was just like of course like of course they couldn't just let someone die on the show i mean the whole point about ford well he did die but right but like still having him come back he's actually like still a part of this narrative somehow he's in the cloud moving forward <laughs> I, he's in the cloud. no one knows he's in the cloud um jeffrey wright I actually thought for having a role where he's supposed to be confused and like waking up from like being shut down like constantly in the season, I thought had some of the best moments. Like I'm never gonna forget, get out of my fucking head. Like that, that, <laughs> I'm gonna use that gift forever. I think. Um, and 
you know, I also think the stuff with Teddy um, was pseudo interesting because you got to see how changing these people, you know, these bots' personalities, you know, sure. impacted them. Um, but it was undercut by the present timeline where you know he died. Exactly. He's floating in the water right away. So, like, it was, it was hard to for that to land with me. And I actually thought that was the first, like, moment of uh, consequences for Dolores. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, like, showing, like, actually, it's, it's, I guess you could say it's a little, it's growth for Teddy, but it's, you know, something that he's changing in Dolores' circumstances for once. But because we already had the moment spoiled for us, it only works, only lands so well for the audience. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the, I don't really have a lot of other thoughts on this. I mean, what do you think of the Delo stuff? I mean, that was kind of a, a, a bit of a bottle episode two showing how this project kind of came to be delos wanting to live forever within one of these robots and seeing the man in black or william the man in black uh, his relationship with that yeah well i thought peter mulan was really good as james delos i actually thought that arc again because that that's primarily self-contained in one episode i thought that worked really well right um and like that room kind of like shades of like 2001 space odyssey i thought that 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 was done really well Mm -hmm. um but again, like this show in general, it presents ideas like that, you know, human condition, what is consciousness, freedom. I think freedom is a big theme for this whole season, but it doesn't want to show any of its work. It just wants to, you know, just point your finger at that stuff and say, hey, see, see what we're doing? But then here's all these puzzles. Stare at that instead. Um, so, and we've, we've said this before, said this many times, but Dolores, I mean, whenever Dolores was on screen, her whole, her whole crew, I was just bored, just dull. Yep. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I don't really have too much else to say. This show, I have nothing to root for. My one theory on it is that the whole, you know, the point of the show is look at human, the human condition, what it means to be human. And being human is, I guess, one of the, if you really decide to be introspective and try to figure out humanity, um, one of the most confusing things to delve into and make sense of. I think maybe the show is going for that, just trying to kind of really not make sense at points and just keeping a mystery and like the mystery of life and what does it really mean to be alive that's that's that'd be like the only way i can be rationalized the way the show has gone but it's just been a major disappointment for me <sighs> well is there anything that could redeem this for you now because they're they're moving away from the cowboys and indians um you know they're they're gonna go out into the real world supposedly um can this show gain back your your trust as a viewer well, I, I, they're clearly giving Tessa Thompson uh, seemingly more to do mm-hmm. or more of a central role um, because I think everything she was asked to do with Charlotte Hale, partially because of the unnecessary timelines, was pretty one note, no fault of hers. So, uh, you know, that, that that gives me hope. But I only, I really don't see this staying, like, real world that much mm-hmm. just because you have all those hosts that are going to get reset, Hector and Maeve and you know everyone else and we're gonna we're gonna find our way back in the park i just yep. don't see how that's it's the main construct of the show it's not gonna totally go away um and then william is still alive despite getting shot like he was 50 cent so <laughs> he's still there um and he, i'm not he, really excited a, about anything he did because again not, his character did not change for 20 hours right and he, um, he's a bot I, now right that's the whole thing he's now one of the i hosts. guess uh, I, I mean again do i really care that much i don't know <laughs> whatever um you, you sound like i wanted more of his daughter to be honest i thought she was interesting in her you know the relationship mm-hmm. that she has with her dad and how her dad became a basically a, a psychopath and he was more obsessed with you know like real world reality of uh, uh 
real world like augmented reality than he was his actual real life mm-hmm. that really mattered. And I thought that was interesting, but they didn't really actually do it. They just kind of brought it up as something that happened. Right. Um, so, and the fact that her his daughter is back, I guess, as a bot, or we're supposed to think, yeah, opposite, I don't know. Um, that's cool. I actually thought Lee Sizemore grew on me quite a lot this year as an ancillary character. Yeah. As opposed to just being a grating dick in season one. Again, the fact that Dolores is still going to be involved in some capacity, whether it's with Tessa Thompson or not, just gives me pause because she should just be the full villain but because the show starts her out as the protagonist it can't totally break away from that despite her being incredibly villainous so i'm out in conclusion it you know i'd like to see what other worlds they have we know three worlds now and Mm -hmm. i think they said there's six right you know the settings the set pieces should be cool but this season also had some set pieces that really annoyed me. I, I'm, I think I've seen enough situations where a guy with a P90 gets killed by a guy with a revolver. <laughs> yeah, you know, in episode I think two or three, when the, the, they attacked the Confederados, and they're like, "Let's walk in the field, right? Like we're British infantry, and we'll attack you in these jeeps with no doors." You know, it makes it's no like, sense. And I think the action could be better. And I'm gonna give it a chance season three, but I'm very disappointed in this season and how it ended. Yeah, just so, even one more thing that really pissed me off when Maeve, you know, when she's like sitting there on the table and they're like about to kill her for good or end her host life, and the guy's like, "There's no pleasure without pain," and turns her pain meter all the way up, and then that like makes her able to like turn every dead robot like rise him from the dead to kill a guy. I was just like, this is. This show is shit. Like <laughs> that's such a that's such bad, lazy writing and just like a, a obvious escape. Yeah. I don't know. Unnecessarily obtuse and confusing with a dumb MacGuffin, the data in Abernathy. Exactly. Like Peter Abernathy said. So it's again, like I say, same thing I said season one, with better effort, you can make the show a lot better. It's just with this concept, this talent, and even this potential, after a season, I'm just flabbergasted this is what you decided was what you wanted to make. Yeah. Well, sounds like we're both out on Westworld. There's some good TV coming though. Glow season two is coming. I started watching Secession, which I after one episode I'm I'm liking. Not loving, but I'm liking it. We'll talk about it on the pod moving forward. Anything else you're watching? Well, I gotta start killing Eve because the Emmy nominations are coming, I think, second week of July, so we have to talk about that. Making way through the Americans still. And then Sharp Objects comes out top of July with Amy Adams on HBO. That looks great. Yep. But then this week also, I guess we'll catch up on Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom for next week. And then Sicario 2, Sicario Day of the Soldado comes out. Sans, Emily Blunt, and Denny Villeneuve. So we'll see how that unexpected sequel turns out. Oh, and, and the music. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a lot of music next week. We got Gorillas, We got Drake. We got Florence and the Machine. July is supposed to slow down for music and maybe movies. I'm not sure. I mean... Ant-Man and Mission Impossible yeah. are the two big movies. And there's a few smaller ones. Uh, sorry to bother you. Okay. With Lucky Stanfield comes out. Pumped for that one. Um, and Eighth Grade from Bo Burnham comes out. But okay. It'll slow down for us in July. Yeah, yeah. so we can catch up on some some TV then, hopefully. Uh, anything you want us to talk about, tweet at the pod at NostalgiaPod. Tweet at myself, Ashton World Peace, and at Dave at Martin Swagger. Again, subscribe to the pod on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. And from there, you can find it any way you want to listen to the pod. Share us with friends. We really appreciate it any last thoughts for the people dave question your reality don't watch westworld (laughs) do not watch westworld you're better than that we love you guys we'll talk to you next week